good morning. I know I said it earlier, but I want to welcome you again. Uh, Whether you are a visitor or whether you are a member or a regular attender, I want you to know that you are welcome here this morning, and I am so grateful that you have joined us this morning. Growing up, due to the nature of my dad's work, I never spent a long time at any school, and I never really grew up in a particular town. So as an effect, I know a lot of different people in a lot of different places, but until college, I never really made any deep, lifelong friends. And in college, I met three men who I am still to this day incredibly close to. In fact, we were all in each other's weddings and uh, still to this day get together as often as possible. And we're on a text chain uh, texting each other amazing food that we eat and uh, picking on each other about uh, the teams that we root for even tonight in the Super Bowl. Uh, one of these men's name is Jonathan Simmerall, and he's a deep thinker. In fact, even today, he works for NASA as a chemical engineer, but he's also a part-time worship pastor. So I like to refer to him as a nerd who is normal. <laughs> and when we were in college, he made a very unique observation because he was a deep thinker. He noticed that we were living in a space and in a time in college where everyone was trying to be different. Everyone was trying to be unique, and they were all passionately letting everyone else know how different they were than those around them, whether it was through their clothing choices or through their hairstyles or through their views on the local church's operation and function. Many in this life were trying to be different, and my friend Simmerall made the unique observation one day through saying this simple phrase. He said, I don't want to be different like everyone else. I want to be normal like no one else. And he observed that everyone trying to be different in reality was alike in the purpose that they were all trying to be different. And that's a humorous observation that he made and a smart observation that he made. But in a similar way, Christians, we are not called to be different like everyone else. We're called to be different like Jesus. And today, I want us to discover uh, through our text how our hope drives us to be different. And our hope, our different hope drives us to a different goal, which is God's holiness. So this morning, we're continuing in our series, Walking Through the Book of 1 Peter, uh, like I alluded to when we began this morning. Uh, We've been walking through the book of 1 Peter for five weeks now. And this is a book that was written to believers of Jesus Christ to encourage them to endure in their present suffering. Last week, when we looked at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, we saw that Peter was encouraging believers to praise God because we are a privileged people who have seen the fulfillment of Jesus Christ as Messiah. Our big idea for last week in verses 10 through 12 was this. We have seen the fulfillment of Jesus Christ as Savior, and so we live as a people with a purpose. And today, five sermons into the book of 1 Peter, we are finally out of the first sentence in the Greek. See, Peter, when he wrote verses 3 through 12 that I read earlier, that was actually one long run-on sentence that basically was calling believers to praise God because they have a living hope and a secure salvation, because they are becoming more like Jesus through their suffering, and because they have been privileged to see Jesus Christ is the Savior. And today, looking at our text in verses 13 through 16, we will discover how a proper hope 
leads us to holiness. How our living hope sets our minds and our actions on God's holiness. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, uh, take them out and turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. If you have a phone app that you want to follow with me on the, trans, on the right translation, uh, if you uh, did not bring a Bible with you today, that is totally fine. Now, we have one in the pew back in front of you, and you can find our passage today on page 953, still on the same first page that we have been for five sermons now. So it's page 953, and I hope you will follow along with me as I will be referencing uh, this passage the entire time that I'm preaching. Uh, but God's Word says this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. It says this, Therefore, Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, Peter begins this new sentence in verse 13 with the word, therefore. I had a youth minister growing up who always told me, uh, when you come across the word, therefore, in the Bible, you need to ask, what is this, therefore, therefore? It's sort of cheesy, but I always remembered that. I never forgot it. And the word, therefore, is always pointing to something that has been said previously. And in this case, Peter is pointing back to his previous sentence. Peter is saying, hey, remember that living hope that you have. Remember how I told you to praise God because you have a confident assurance of your coming salvation. Remember that your salvation is imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfailing, and it's being kept. Well, remember that you have a purpose for your suffering to become more like Jesus. Remember that you are a privileged people because you are living on this side of Christmas and Easter and are experiencing Jesus. Well, remembering that God has done this for us in Christ and the living hope that we have, therefore, we prepare our minds for action. This is an interesting phrase, uh, but it has a little bit more of an interesting story behind it and how it was translated from the original language in the Greek. See, the ESV here chose to simplify what was being said, and I understand why they did this, but they actually lost a little bit of the force behind this phrase. The actual language here in the Greek literally says, gird up the loins of your minds. Well, that doesn't make much sense to any of us, does it? And so I understand why the ESV simplified it, but let's explain this phrasing for just a moment to grant us a little bit more meaning and understanding of our text. See, girding up the loins is a metaphor that describes an act when robes were historically worn by men and women in this day. And even soldiers who were going into battle commonly wore robes. However, when it came time to go into battle, when it was time for action, the soldiers were hindered by the robes getting in their ability to run and to move quickly. Now, I've never tried to run in a skirt, but I hear that it's quite difficult and so they would hike up their skirts or their, their robes into a belt to allow their legs more freedom to run into battle. They were essentially making shorts because they were running into action and it gave them more freedom to move. And this metaphor, when used in the Old Testament, was usually admonishing readers to be ready to see God's word and to respond to him with instant obedience. 
So we can assume that Peter is also calling his readers to instant obedience. And today, this might be our equivalent of saying, hey, roll up your shirt sleeves as we get ready to get our hands dirty for the work that is ahead of us. So Peter here was telling believers, hey, since we have an assured salvation, since we have a living hope presently and in the future, you go ahead and you roll up the sleeves because there's work to be done. There's work before us. There is a battle before us. So let's get after it. And the battle is within our minds, preparing our minds for action, for battle, for instant obedience. Further, Peter says, be sober-minded. What does he mean by this? When our culture, when we hear the word sober, we understand it as the opposite of being drunk, which is a distraction from thinking clearly. So Peter is telling his readers, hey, avoid distractions in your mind. Not letting your mind wander into any other type of mental intoxication or addictions which keep us from being spiritually alert. Or any laziness of our minds which causes us through sin, through being carelessness of not being able to think clearly. Even more simply, we might say being clear-minded. And Peter is encouraging his readers here to avoid any form of mental distraction and that would cause them to not be able to focus on the grace of Jesus Christ. To avoid anything that distracts our minds from being ready for the battle that lies before us. So Peter here is saying, knowing your coming salvation, roll up the shirt sleeves of your mind, ready for instant obedience, being clearly and intensely focused for what? So that you can set your hope. But How do we set our hope? He says, set your hope fully What do we set our hope fully on? We set our hope fully on the coming salvation. This is our fifth sermon out of 1 Peter, and we're just now finding our first imperative in the book. The way that we read the Greek, we look for the imperative verbs. That's the verbs that are telling us something that we must do. These are the commands in the scripture. And here we find our first imperative verb. And Peter tells us it is imperative that you set your hope. This is a sentence of action that we see in verse 13. Peter has told us, hey, gird up the loins of your minds. Prepare yourself for the battle of your mind. Ready to think of God's grace and to obey him at once. Instantly, And then while you are being spiritually alert, set your hope or live with a confident assurance fully on Jesus Christ and the salvation that you have in him. Now, I love my iPhone. Uh, If you have a smartphone, I'm sure that you love it as well most of the time. They are amazing tools to use when they work correctly. Think about it. Just a few years ago, if you traveled, you needed an alarm clock and you also needed to take a watch. And then you needed a CD player or an iPod to listen to music on. And then you needed a GPS or a maps or an atlas if you are that old that they still still used atlas and a camera to take pictures of your trips. And now all of these devices have been combined into one device, which is our iPhones. And they are amazing tools. However, they can also be distracting tools, constantly flooded with notifications and dings and rings and vibrations, and it can be overwhelming. However, this year, the iPhone introduced something amazing that they called focus modes. 
So I have my iPhone set to automatically every single day go to the focus mode of work mode. And from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. each day, when it goes on work mode, it doesn't let any notifications through. No dings, no vibrations, no distractions. I can set my mind clearly on the task and the action ahead and think clearly upon the actions before me instead of the distractions of Facebook notifications or Instagram that somebody liked or commented on a picture that I posted a week ago, right? I don't need to be thinking about that. Our world is also filled with many distractions from us being clear-minded, from us being able to set our hope completely upon Jesus Christ. And Peter here was telling his readers, and he's telling us as well, hey, fight the good fight with your mind. There are all kinds of things seeking for your attention that are not true, that are not honorable, that are not pure or lovely or excellent, as Paul says in Philippians 4. And we need to prepare our minds for battle against those things that are hope and joy robbers of our minds and to set our minds fully on Jesus Christ and the salvation that we have in him. Further, Peter continues in verse 14 saying this. Look at verse 14. He says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. And Peter, having just told us to prepare our minds for instant obedience, now tells us to live in that obedience. Further, Peter sets up the idea of us living in obedience using the imagery of a father-child relationship here. And as a child of God, we should not just think upon God's works, but we should, we should not just be spiritually alert and setting our hope, but we should live in obedience. See, our obedience, like we saw in 1 John, is evidence of our trust and love for the Lord and for one another. Uh, further, he says in the second half of verse 14, uh, we don't let our former passions shape and mold us. I love the language that the ESV uses here. We're told to not be conformed, to not pattern our actions or our life after your former ignorance. Now, I love that because, man, have I been formerly ignorant. I mean, I'm serious. I have been formerly ignorant. And in fact, in many ways, I'm still presently ignorant. I'm just a lot more aware of my present ignorance than I was of my former ignorance. Is anybody with me? Are y'all with me? In other words, I used to think that I knew a lot, but now I know that I don't know anything. And Peter is telling his readers here, your former ignorant passions used to dominate the pattern of your life. Don't do that anymore. In other words, those things that you used to think that were so amazing, which dominated your life, which you used to place your hope and faith, place your thoughts and place your trust in. But now that you know Jesus Christ and you know that there are many of those things that were actually hurting you or hindering you instead of helping you, don't do those things anymore. Quit trying to be different just like everyone else, but be different like Jesus Don't see that Jesus is better like we sang earlier and then run right back to the things that are not as good as Jesus. Don't see that Jesus brings freedom and then go running back into the slavery of sin. Don't see that Jesus offers you confidence and an assured hope and then go running back to the things that leave you wounded and hurt and destroyed. In other words, if God has saved you out of the filth of the pig pen and set you out and given you a new identity in Christ and called you his child, 
then walk confidently as a redeemed child of God in obedience to Him. And don't go rolling back in the filth of the pig pen. But rather, look at verse 13. He said, But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. The beginning of verse 14, the but symbolizes a strong contrast from the behavior that we see in verse 14. Peter here gives us the insecutive imperative of his letter so far. Peter tells his readers, it is imperative that you be holy. First, Peter tells his readers that they are to be holy as he who calls you is. In other words, we are to pattern our lives after God's holiness. We often talk about God's holiness, but what do we mean by that? To say that God is holy means that he is separated from sin and he is devoted to seeking his own honor, that he is set apart from what is ordinary, that he is set apart from what is evil, that there is nothing or no one like him. He is absolutely unique, perfect, and permanent. God is the definition of holiness. Listen, God is not subject to the law or living perfectly to the law, but the law was written trying to describe his holiness and his perfection. So when we talk about us being holy as God is, it's not simply a separation, a concept of separation, such as we're going to be strange for the sake of being strange, or we're going to be different for the sake of being different, or we're going to try to separate ourselves from society for the sake of separation. But it's also this thought of us being separate because we are seeking to make much of and to imitate God, who we understand as being perfectly unique and permanent and perfect. In other words, our pattern of holiness Listen to this. Looks like us being satisfied in the goodness of God and not seeking satisfactions in the passions of our former ignorance. Further, Peter says in the second half of this verse that our pursuit to be holy as he who called us is holy results in evidence through our conduct. In other words, the pattern of our lives should model the fruits of the Spirit like we see in Galatians 5. When we are satisfied with the goodness of God and are trying to pattern our lives after His goodness, then we will be filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Fruits of the Spirit we see in Galatians 5. Now notice this. Notice I said the pattern of our lives. This doesn't mean... There won't be times in your life or episodes in our lives where we lack being filled with the fruits of the Spirit. It doesn't mean that there won't be episodes or even seasons in our lives where we fail to pattern our lives in a conduct of holiness. However, the story of our lives, the pattern of our lives, should be that we are seeking to be holy, just as God is, just as Jesus is, in all of our conduct. Look at verse 16. It says this, Since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Peter says, Hey, this is not just me saying this. This is nothing new, but it actually goes back to Leviticus, to the Levitical law, where we see that five times throughout the book of Leviticus, God issued the call of, You shall be holy, for I am holy. That God is telling His people, You should look different 
in those who were not my people. That the pursuit of holiness of God in our lives is evidence in our conduct. And this causes us to look different than those in the world. Not for the sake of being different like everyone else, but being different for Jesus. Now, I've already talked about my iPhone. And if you haven't gathered, I'm an Apple guy. I use Macs and iPads and iPhones. And if you try to watch me use a Windows computer, it's like watching a toddler handle a computer. I just have no idea how to work one, how to operate it. Our office administrator, Misty, always finds it humorous because she always uses a Windows computer. And when she tries to watch me operate one, she says, I just want to help you because uh, it looks like you are struggling. And I am. I have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, however, if you give me a MacBook, then I can fly because I've been using one since the early 2000s. And in the early 2000s, Apple had a slogan that said, think different. And it's true, you have to think different to use a Mac than you do a Windows. And my brain is trained on how to think on a Mac because I like to use things that work correctly, right? Anybody else with me? All right. In a similar fashion, as Christians, we should think differently. We should be different because we know Jesus. Because we know Jesus is better. And since we know Jesus and know that he is better, we can form our obedience to a pattern of pursuing the holiness of God. We should look different. We should think different than the world around us because we have a different hope than they do. We have Jesus. I think we can all amen that we should look differently than the world around us that we should have a different hope and that our minds should be set differently. But what does that look like practically? I want us to briefly take a few observations from our text today on how we can practically apply it to our lives. Observation one is this. We need to set our minds on Jesus. Our world is filled with many distractions, like we said earlier, from us being clear-minded from us being able to set our hope completely upon Jesus. But Peter here was telling his readers, and he's telling us as well, hey, fight the good fight with your mind. There are all kinds of things seeking for your attention that are not true, that are not honorable, they're not pure or lovely or excellent. And we need to prepare our minds for the battle against those things that are hope and joy robbers of our minds and to set our minds fully on Jesus and the salvation that we have in him. How do we do this? Well, first, we need to fight the distractions. Man, it is easy to be distracted in our day and time, isn't it? The distractions are everywhere. Everything is fighting for our attention. And we have to roll up our sleeves ready for action, ready for the battle of our minds. And if we're not ready for the distractions of our day, then we will be destroyed by them. What are some of the distractions that we have in our lives that become, can become loud voices in our head? Well, first, social media. I love social media. I've been on social media since I was 19, and that is a scary thought. Uh, there are days when I was dumb, documented online, and that is scary. Uh, there, but social media, it can be a loud distraction. There's always one more scroll, always one more video, always one more reel, one more uh, TikTok, always one more thing to watch. And it's exhausting keeping up with the thousands of people's lives that we follow, so distracting that we can forget to keep up with our own life. 
and our own pursuit of holiness and our other people that are physically present in our lives. Social media can be a huge distraction and we need to fight against uh, it to be able to set our minds fully on Jesus Christ and the salvation that we have in him. Here, Listen, we have a living hope. And social media can be a distraction because you can quickly find your hope in one more like or one more follow or the people that are looking at you or your influence online. And listen to me, that is not our hope. Our hope is in Jesus Christ alone, not on social media. Another distraction that we may have in our lives is television. Uh, Maybe in particular, cable network news. Uh, For some of us, we never turn the news on and we have no idea what is happening in our world. For some of us, we never turn the news off and it consumes us and it distracts us and it depresses us. And listen, the news is not, watching the news is not a bad thing, uh, but actually most of it's filled with bad things. Uh, We can watch the news, but we need to guard against it being a distraction in our lives so that we're not unable to set our hope completely on Jesus Christ. And hear me when I say this, your hope is not in this world. Your hope is in a world to come. Your hope is in Jesus Christ, and the cable news network tells you what to be scared of, and they tell you what to worry about, but we have a living hope, and we have something that we can be consumed with right here that tells us that we win, that Jesus wins, and we don't have to be consumed by the cable network. What about work? Another distraction can be work. I mean, it's good to work, isn't it? It's biblical to work hard unto the Lord. It's biblical for a man to provide for his family. However, what about when we can't turn the work off? And sure, we, go, we all go through episodes or we go through seasons where work is crazy and it's consuming. And that's a season, but it shouldn't be our story. If work is receiving so much of a priority in our lives that it becomes a distraction from setting our minds upon Jesus, then we may need to, re- we may need to re-examine if we are truly working hard unto the Lord or if we are working into satisfaction of self. See, elongated, healthy, unhealthy habits of work can be a huge distraction that we need to fight against to be able to set our mind and our hope on Jesus Christ. So we don't need to be so busy building our kingdom here that we forget about building God's kingdom there. What about playing? On the other opposite spectrum of work, just as work in excess can be a distraction, playing in excess can be a distraction on the setting of our minds of Jesus Christ, can it? Video games can be an addiction in our culture. And I'm just going to say this to you young men. If your video games take priority over your pursuit of your career, a pursuit of moving out of your parents' house, or your pursuit of a spouse, or especially your pursuit of holiness and Jesus, then you need to turn the video games off and refocus your priorities. See, playing video games or playing sports or whatever it may be in excess is a good thing. But it also can be a huge distraction that we need to fight against and being able to set our minds fully on Jesus Christ and the salvation that we have in him. Listen, there are many distractions that I didn't list here, but you get the idea. We need to be ready for the distractions ahead so we're not dominated and destroyed by them. To prepare our minds for battle against those things that are hope and joy robbers of our minds and to set our mind fully on Jesus Christ and the salvation that we have in him by fighting against the distractions so that we can focus on Jesus. See, what receives our attention determines our priorities. And you 
are in control of the priorities of your life. Set them so you can set your mind on Jesus. Maybe ask yourself internally, what unhealthy rhythms or unhealthy habits do I have in my life? And how can I form healthy rhythms or healthy habits in my life? And what does it look like to have those healthy habits? We set those healthy habits through doing what you're doing right now. We come to church to be surrounded by other believers to help us fight our sin together and to hear God's word preached in an expository sermon. We set our mind on Jesus Christ by reading God's word and pondering about it. Not just reading it, but chewing on it and really thinking about it. Maybe you read God's word and you're like, I have no idea what I just read. And you say, God, would you reveal to me what in the world you are saying right here? God, what are you saying through your word? So we ponder upon God's word. We journal it. We think about it. And that leads us to, uh, we spend time in prayer. Maybe you don't know what to pray to God. And so you just begin to pray his scripture back to him. God, this is your word. This is your revealed goodness, your holiness. I'm just going to pray this back to you in this moment. And we can also set our minds by, uh, I often listen to worship music, uh, listen to Christian music to set my mind on the goodness of Jesus Christ. So even when I'm not reading scripture, my mind is pondering and it's thinking about the things of God. So we can determine our priorities to set our mind on Jesus Christ. And this is hard. It's a battle. That's why Peter uses the language of girding up the loins of our minds. This is a battle for our minds to not be dominated by the distractions of our former ignorance and to set our minds on our future salvation so we're not distracted by the loud noise of this world. And in order to set our minds fully on Jesus Christ, we don't let the distractions dominate. But we roll up our sleeves of our mind and we get to work, controlling our minds to focus on Jesus. Our second observation for today is this. Be holy. Peter here was telling his readers, and he's telling us as well, be holy. This is his second imperative that we are to do as believers. But what does it mean to be holy? We often say that God is holy, but if we're not God, then how can we be holy? We already said earlier to say that God is holy means that he is absolutely unique and perfect and permanent and that God is the definition of holiness. It means he's separated from sin and he's devoted to his own honor. However, as Christians, we will never be free from sin completely on the side of heaven, but we should be set apart. We should look differently than the world around us. And we can never be perfectly holy, but we can pursue the holiness of God. We should look differently in our hope. We should look differently in how we think with our minds. We should look differently in our obedience and not being conformed by the passions of this world. And we should look differently in our conduct and how we behave. Whether you're a retiree or whether you're an empty nester or still working or whether you have small kids or you're single or you're a student or you're a child, you should look different than those around you. Because your hope is not in this world. Your hope is not in the same things as those around you. Your hope is a living hope, and it is in Jesus Christ. And your living hope sets your hope. It sets you differently. Your living hope causes you to be marked differently. You want to be different in your generation? We talked about that being popular when I was in college. You want to be different in your generation? Follow Jesus. 
where you're filled with kindness and boldness and selflessness. That's radically different from the, what the culture is teaching us to be, isn't it? Let's be like Jesus. But even more practically, what might it look to be holy in the 21st century? Well, in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John stand before a council who is greatly annoyed that they are proclaiming that Jesus is better. And it says in verse 13 that the council saw the boldness of Peter and John. And they were astonished and recognized because of their boldness that they had been with Jesus. A few verses later in Acts 5, we see their fellow believers also praying to God and asking to look upon their threats and to grant to you or your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And then it says after they had prayed, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. See, holiness is centered around humility. But humility, hear this, is not lacking boldness in speaking what is true. And our boldness comes not because of who we are, but who it is that we have been with. It's a humble boldness. And listen, Christian, there is a battle for what is true in our culture. And Ephesians 4.15 tells us to speak the truth in love. And hear this, the lie that the enemy has so sneakingly weaved into our culture today is that to be loving means that we can't boldly speak the truth. Listen, Christian, our culture needs truth speakers right now. It needs Christians who are walking with the Lord and display the boldness that comes from walking with the Lord, a humble boldness filled with gentleness and with love. Even more specifically, the lie, one of the greatest lies being told in our culture is a direct lie from Satan that tells you, that tells your family, that tells your neighbor that you are not made in the image of God. Yet we see clearly in Scripture that you are made in the image of God. This is truth. Genesis 1.27 says this, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And I want to lovingly and boldly tell you this morning that God made you. And God loves you. Further, you are made in the image of God of the universe who created you and loves you. And this is amazing. You are a beautiful creation just the way you are. However, the lie of our day is that you must be more. That if you don't look like what humans have defined as perfection in a magazine or on social media, that you are not a beautiful creation, that you are not enough. But listen, God made you perfectly. He created you in his image and you are his image barrier. And if the God of the universe created you in his image, I want you to hear this from me boldly. You are enough. Don't believe the lies. Even further, I want to boldly and lovingly tell you this truth today. God's word says that he created us male and female. And this is truth. God made you in his image. 
And you are designed and created exactly the way that the God of the universe intended for you to be designed. However, the lie of our day is that you don't have to identify with the way that God created you or that you can simply change God's creation. And listen, God made each of you uniquely and perfectly in his image. So don't believe the lie of today that ultimately is declaring to you that you were not created exactly the way that God designed for you to be. And this is simply not true. We see in Psalm 139, it says that God knitted you together in your mother's womb. Jeremiah 1.5 says that before you were formed, God knew you. And listen, if you are in this room and you have believed the lies that you are not enough, that you must be more, or that God has not created you perfectly, I want you to hear God's word. These are not my words. This is God's word today. And I want you to know that you are enough. That God not only made you in his image, but he loves you. Further, I want to strongly encourage all of us here to boldly speak the truth in love to combat the lies of our culture today with a bold humbleness to speak the truth of Genesis 1.27 into our culture. Our culture needs God's people to be bold truth speakers with humility and gentleness and love to fight the lie of the deceiver that God did not create us all perfectly in his image. And as Christians, we should be marked differently than the world around us. We need to be holy as God is holy. And this difference, this holiness may simply look like being ambassadors of the truth in our culture with a humble boldness. And we are able to speak the truth in love with boldness, not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is. These are not our words. This is not our plan. It is the plan of God who is holy, who is perfect, and who is forever good. Earlier this week, one of my children came to me and told me that a friend had gotten upset at them at school and that they told them uh, to not do something that was wrong. And when they, when they asked them to not do something that was wrong, I asked my child, I said, were you ugly or mean? And they said, no. I asked my child, I said, was it the right thing to do? And they said, yes. And then I told my child this. I said, sometimes doing what's right and saying what is right will cost people liking you. It will cost being popular. But you have to be okay with speaking the truth humbly, in love, with boldness, even if that means nobody likes you. Listen, our church, listen, church, our culture needs more Christians that are less concerned with people liking them and more Christians who are concerned with being holy as God is holy. Church, set your minds on Jesus. Be holy as he is holy. Our big idea for today is this. Our living hope sets our minds and our actions on God's holiness. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're a believer in this room, I want to ask you a few questions. First is this. What are some distractions 
in your life that you need to put on do not disturb. Silence them so you can set your mind fully to focus on Jesus and the living hope you have in him. Another question I have is, how is your pursuit of holiness? Do you look different than those around you who don't have a living hope? If not, why? Are you marked by a humble boldness? Maybe today you need to come to this altar and plead with the Lord that you would not be a lukewarm follower, but that you would be a bold believer who speaks the truth in love. Believer, let's not be lukewarm wanderers, but let's be bold believers because we've been with the Lord and we have confidence in who He is because we've been with Him. Maybe you're in this room today and you have no idea what this living hope is that I've been talking about. Maybe for the first time today, you have heard that you are enough because you were created in the image of God. Today, I want you to know that you are loved. Further, you are wanted. In fact, I want to tell you right now how much God loves you. God loves you so much that he created you. He created everything that we can see and we can touch and we can feel. And God is holy, like we said. He's set apart. He's unlike anything or anyone else. And because he's holy, he's never done anything wrong, nor can he be associated with anything or anyone who has ever done anything wrong. And the truth is, all of us have sinned. We've all done something wrong. I have, you have, everyone has. We've all stolen, we've all lied, we've all cheated. We've all done something against God's law. And this makes us a sinner and it creates a problem because a God who is holy cannot be associated with sin and sinners. Not because God hates us, but because of his character that won't allow him to be associated with sin. And therefore, as sinful humans, we are separated in this life and the next from the God who created us and loves us. And this is bad news. But there is good news. God loves you so much that he made a way that you can be reunited with him for all of eternity in a place called heaven. He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to earth as a baby. And being fully God and fully man, Jesus lived a perfect sinless life here on earth. But yet he went to a cross and he died for your sins. Three days later, he defeated sin and death when he rose from the grave. So today, you can be forgiven. You can be saved from your eternal separation from God in a real place called hell if you repent of your sins, believe in Jesus Christ, and follow him all the rest of your days. Today, if you believe and you repent and you follow you can and you will be saved. You will be forgiven. And when, you, when we leave this earth, we will be in heaven for all of eternity with God. Further, I want you to hear this. God desires that you are saved. Jesus desires that you are in heaven with him. You are wanted there. You are loved. And today you can have an identity of forgiveness. You can have that living hope that we have been talking about. Have you done this? Do you know where you will go when you leave this earth, either heaven or hell? Today, you can have a confident assurance that you will be in heaven with Jesus and God. In a few moments when I sing, when we sing and we, I go down front, you can come down and I can help you cry out to God for the first time for forgiveness and salvation. Maybe you're here today 
and you've placed your hope and your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but you've never been biblically baptized, that is our first step of obedience to the Lord. Would you do this today if you have placed your hope and your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Or maybe you've been visiting for quite some time and you're ready to join our church family as a member. Whatever it is that you need to do, I want to tell you the altar is open. And after I pray and we sing, let's do business with the Lord. Church, I love you deeply. I love you all deeply. Let's pray.